This episode of this Focused Practical Dreamer's Journey is brought to you by Energy Healer Jean Borders' Personal Powerful Transformation Program. Know you're leaving money on the table, but can't figure out how to bring it in? Need to double your productivity and profitability? Need an extra push to get things moving in the right direction? Visit www.focusedpracticaldreamer.com slash transformation now and apply for a business consultation with Jean. Welcome to the Focused Practical Dreamer's Journey, where we take out your emotional baggage and heal your emotional body so you get to enjoy the success you desire and deserve. Prepare to feel a sense of relief and empowerment as we get rid of the baggage you've been carrying that's held up your business success up until now. Be sure to visit our website at www.focusedpracticaldreamer.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, lean in, get comfortable, and prepare to take off. Hello, everyone. This is Jean Border, your host for the Focused Practical Dreamers Journey podcast. I have a special guest here, and she is an expert in the feng shui world. This is Moni. Hi, how are you? Glad to have you here. Hey, Jean. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to sharing with you and your listeners. Cool. So you work with feng shui for people, their homes, their their home yes. office, and businesses, right? Yes, that's right. So talk to me about how you got into that world. Well, I was uh, born in uh, Quito, Ecuador. Ecuador is a small country about the size of the state of Colorado. It's uh, in South America. So it's right on the equator, hence the name, right? And and so people are always asking me, oh, it must have been really hot there, right? But it wasn't because you also have really high mountains in Ecuador. So I was over 9,000 feet above sea level and like in late um, fall weather year round. And um, in... Uh, Ecuador, I studied architecture and I got a degree in architecture. Now, when you're that high up in the mountains and you're on the equator, the things that you're learning in school don't match your reality. So, for example, you are reading a book on natural sciences and it tells you there's four seasons and uh, you don't see seasons. You don't have seasons because you're on the equator. And it also tells you that uh, sometimes of the year, the days are longer, the days are shorter, and that's not that's not true for you. Days are always 12 hours long. Nights are always 12 hours long, right? And so I grew up really skeptical uh, that I shouldn't just trust things, right? So I graduated from architecture one month, and the next month I moved to the United States to join my husband, who was born here. And once I start looking for a job, I find out I'm not going to be able to work as an architect unless I go back to school for five years. And I had already been in school for over six years. So the last thing I wanted to do was to go back to school. And so a friend heard my story and she told me, well, why don't you look into feng shui? Because I think that uh, that you might find something there. And uh, and I did. And I fell in love with feng shui instantly. And in the beginning, I, I just was curious to learn. You know, I just had this love for learning. Um, but then I realized that the knowledge I gleaned from feng shui would make me a much better architect. That all of these things that I didn't learn in the School of Architecture, I was learning through feng shui. And so that's how I started with feng shui. That's cool. I've just recently gotten interested in feng shui. So it's it's oh. very cool that I get to speak with you. Um, the, yes. The, the science of placement, the knowledge of how placing certain things in certain directions can impact your thoughts and your outcomes that's just yes very interesting yeah. to me <laughs> and especially the function of, of your home because everything that you believe to be true about life about yourself about the universe is expressed in some way or another in your home you have put all your beliefs in your home and uh, your home is giving you constant feedback and here's the thing you Every day you make decisions and you take actions based on those beliefs. So by making intentional changes in your spaces, you can make your spaces 
help you have better beliefs. And with better beliefs, you make better decisions and you take better actions. So your, your life improves. You become happier, more successful, and healthier. So that is fascinating. How are your beliefs impacting how you decorate your house or keep your house? Or Well, you know, um, when you choose colors, when you go to the store and buy a piece of furniture. So let me give you an example. Um, sometimes I walk into a room of an established couple. They have been married for over 20 years. And in their primary bedroom, they have a king-size bed or a queen-size bed and no headboard. That's very uncomfortable. If you ever slept in a bed that didn't have a headboard, you know it's uncomfortable because the wall is going to be colder than the headboard would be. So if you're trying to sit up on your bed to read a book, you actually, with your weight, you start pushing the bed forward. It's very unstable. It's very insecure. And that's the kind of thing you would do in college when you don't have the money to buy a proper bed. So when I'm talking to an established couple, they have been married for 20 years and they decided they didn't need a headboard, that tells me something about what that couple believes. That tells me that they don't believe that they should treat themselves better. They don't believe that they should have comfort. They don't believe that they are worth the expense of a proper bed and a proper headboard. You see? Wow. And that is true with every single object in your home. The kind of light fixtures that you chose when you were building your home, the kinds of lamps that you have put in the living room, the kind of sofa that you have, how you have set up your living room. So, for example, one thing that I find also very frequently when I go into people's homes is they put a large screen TV right across from the sofa. And then they say, my social life is dead. <laughs> the only thing I do is watch TV. You know, <laughs> I don't even have to explain it, right? It's obvious when you think about it, but a lot of people no, they never think to think about it. And so if you're setting up your... Um, living room as a movie theater, you're only going to think about watching movies, maybe playing video games, but you're not going to think about socializing. Then there's the, the art that you put on your walls, the mirrors that you put on your walls. The Every single thing in your home is talking to you, so you have to make sure that they have nice things to say. So you can just name anything in your home. And this is another one that I find all the time. People are having dinner, sitting on high stools, at a counter in their kitchen, right? Isn't that common, especially mm -hmm. in the United States? So you believe that you should interrelate with your family as if you were a server at the Waffle House. Oh, my you see? gosh. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. To think about your daily life in these terms. Or you want to eat next to your spouse as in the same way, you know, sitting next to each other on a stool at a counter, in the same way as if you were meeting a stranger at a bar. Oh, my gosh. That is so yes. cool to think about that. Yeah. So it's not just beliefs. You know, I'm not talking about religious beliefs. Feng Shui is not going to change your religion. But I'm, I'm talking about the things you believe to be true about life. How should you relate to your spouse? What should the relationship with your children be like? What should uh, what kinds of messages are, are you giving yourself through the art that you have chosen? I struggle with that personally because the things that used to bring me joy over time mm -hmm. change, yes. right? Yeah. So where I used to be able to be very comfortable making decisions about how to change a room now yeah. is more of a struggle and it's not just i inherently know what to do you know yeah Interesting. and then you know it, it may that may be because you're more mature now because mm -hmm. now you know what you want and because now you have a sense an internal sense that every decision that you make in your home is going to matter that yes. is going to say something to you that is going to influence you and uh, speaking of art i am um, I remember when I was a child, my one of my aunts, she was married to a man who was an art collector. And they had a really wide and long hallway in their home. And the hallway was full of art. And so this man, he was buying his art as an investment. And uh, some of the artists that were popular were not printing pretty things. 
And so there were some, you know, like that famous uh, painting of the scream, you know, the or the surrealist, uh, the Salvador Dali paintings that are really, really strange. And so their hallway was full of these kinds of paintings. And I remember going from the living room to the bathroom that was at the back, feeling terrified to walk down that hallway because the images were so disturbing. Of course, you know, there's some that were really beautiful, but some were really, really disturbing. And so when you put images in your home that are disturbing, you are going to kick in something within yourself. You know, we humans, we have uh, this civilization today. I think civilization is about 10,000 years old, which is when cats self-domesticated. <laughs> they helped us uh, take care of pets and rodents so we could keep our grain. It made agriculture worth it. But for most of our history of our development, our brains are hardwired to look for danger around you every 20 seconds, every 20 seconds. And you are looking for that saber tooth, right? Or in, a, in more modern terms, you may be looking for a suspicious activity in a parking lot building. But even in your home, sitting at your desk, in the place where you feel safest in your home, your brain is still doing that. It's designed to do that. So every 20 seconds, your brain is scanning for sources of danger. Anything in your home that is a reminder of potential danger is going to get get you. You know, it's going to start chipping away at your confidence in life, at your security, at, at your sense of safety. Wow. And so let's talk about something that would be um, insecure and dangerous in your home. Have you ever been to a home there were, where they had a beautiful coffee table that was made of metal? It had a metal base and a rectangular piece of glass on top. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yes. Yes, right. I think we all have seen that. <laughs> and that coffee table has sharp corners. And if you ask them, every single person that lives in that household will tell you at some time or another, they hid their shins in that coffee table. And one will tell you they even bled. That is dangerous. If you went into a house like that with a, a child that was 18 months old, you would not let them get close to that table because it is dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. And you might say, well, it's so beautiful and I'm an adult and I'm careful. No, you're not careful all the time. You cannot be careful 24-7. You know, sometimes you're going to have a glass of wine even or even more. And so anything in your home that is potentially dangerous to a child is sending these messages to your brain that there's danger in your environment. And that increases your level of stress. The more stress you have in your body, the less you can think because the part of your nervous system that protects you from danger shuts down the part of your nervous system that is in, in charge of thinking and healing. So it is extremely important to control the messages that your home is giving you. I am one of those people who has a glass coffee table with a metal Seriously? bench. Seriously? <laughs> but it's not wrecked. It, it's, it's oval. It's Well, that's much better. It is much better. I'm so and, glad that it, it is oval. Yes. And I really enjoy it. But when my uh -huh. niece had a little baby, she was terrified of the table because, yeah. oh, she could, you know, she could run into it and break it. I'm like, it's not going to break. I'm trying to be logical. And she's trying to be the, the scared mom, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and you yeah. just reminded me of something. I, I actually lived through this experience, which was terrifying. I was waiting in a doctor's office. And they had a table just like as you described with an oval um, pane of glass. And so it had this four supports, right? Um, so out of the base of the table, you had four columns coming out and the glass was supported on those. And there was a child and this child was just jumping on the table on his belly and like surfing on the table. And I could see the glass flex. And uh, fortunately, it didn't break. So it's not a horror story, right? It didn't break. But I remember for the half hour that I was waiting for the doctor and the mom, you know, she was just reading a book and didn't even care. <laughs> I just couldn't believe, you know, why are you not protecting your child? And for the half an hour that I was waiting, my stress levels went through the roof. It wasn't even my table. It wasn't even my child. But I would see that, that, um, that pane of glass kind of bending in the middle, you know, and just my um my body responded to it and it probably was safe because it was a really thick piece of glass and and i think it would it'd take a lot more to break it but some part of my brain didn't understand that and i actually know someone 
who was trying to change a light bulb and she stood up on her glass table. I'm dead serious. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Did it break? Yeah, it broke. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's obviously would have broken, right? Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Well, I I hope they didn't get hurt too bad. Yeah, no, she was okay. I mean, it it broke away from her instead of into her. So so she was... um, Wow, that way but i'm like i can't believe you even thought to stand on that flimsy piece of glass like that but mine yeah, is very much it? thicker and it's attached very well yeah. it's got the plastic things that keep it from yes moving. but still i i get your point but i just uh-huh. always thought it was weird it's, she's not you know how you try to so, m- introduce logic into a conversation with a scared mom uh-huh. it doesn't work you know so <laughs> yes and so like but your brain part of your brain is a scared mom Yes, you know, yeah. and so it it uh it can affect you. But I mean, you don't have to throw away the table. There are things we can do in feng shui to lessen that perception that you're having. And so in feng shui, you can um you can use, especially in the system that I use that I developed, the nine steps of feng shui system. You can use that so that you can correct all the problems that you may have in your home that are are considered problems in feng shui without having to remodel and without having to go through great expenses. So, for example, one thing that is really, really common in our Western uh, homes, especially older homes, is that you open the door and the first thing you see is the staircase going up, Mm -hmm. right? So that's bad feng shui. And uh, in in ancient China, they used to say, uh, well, the money will go away. Oh. That's a place where you'll never be able to um, make good money. You'll never be able to save. You'll never be able to make investments. Wow. And so that one thing that, that I can tell you for true and just makes common sense, right? When you open the door, the first thing you see is a staircase going up. What do you think about? Moving up. Yeah, you think about going up. And going up is work. It oh. works your muscles. You yeah. know, so, so how many times have you gotten to a place like you, like you go to a store or a mall and the place that you want to go is upstairs and you're like, oh, I have to go up the stairs, you know, or you go to a bus station and you realize your terminal is another floor. Oh, I have to go up the stairs. Do they have an elevator? Do they have an escalator? Right. Because you don't want to go up the stairs. So having that kind of feeling every time you come into your home is not good for you. So over time, what we have found is people in homes that are like this, they start feeling fatigued. And that fatigue leads um, to improper standing, for example, because you feel fatigued as soon as you come home. You're not cooking. So you're spending more money going out. You're spending more money getting takeout. You're spending more money getting convenience foods you can just throw in the microwave, right? So there's all these things that are affecting how you live just from the first feeling you get when you open that door. Does that make sense? That's cool. Yeah. So yes, and so indirectly. many people look at the grand staircase and think, "Oh, you know, I'm in a a really grand home." So they think they must really have made yeah. it, right? And and some of those may be even worse because if you're really looking at a grand staircase, you're in a high end home, and that high end home is going to have nine to twelve feet ceilings, right? Right. And so, whereas in a regular house, if you're going up a, um, one floor, you're going going to up 14 steps. But if you're in a high-end home, it may be 18 steps. It may be 24 steps, you know, because the the ceilings are higher. And so there are many things that we, we think like, oh, I wish I had that, you know. If I were a rich man, I would have two grand staircases, one going up, you know, one going down and the third one going nowhere just for fun. (laughs) <laughs> and that comes with a cost. The The notions that we have of what riches are, they come with a cost. Actually, um, the feng shui standard of feng shui is the smallish house full of people you love, not a mansion where you can hear your own echo. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So what if you have a, a home office? What are some of the pitfalls that people, that you commonly see people fall into? What are some of the things they should well, look, look for? The most common and the one that I see just about in every single place I go into is the position of the desk and the chair. Because most people are going to push a desk or a table against the wall and then put their chair right there so your back is towards the room. 
And so you remember those, the brain scanning every 20 mm -hmm. seconds? Every 20 seconds, your brain is going to be thinking by the smells, by the sounds, by the changes in light, what is happening behind me and am I in danger? And with your, the part of your nervous system that deals with fight or flight is going to kick in, you're not going to be able to concentrate. You're not going to be able to think. You can't find solutions to problems when you're worried. And so when you have that, you know, that your back is to the room, you are less productive, you concentrate less, and you're, you're less efficient in general. And so it, an easy solution, of course, is to turn the desk and the chair so that when you're sitting at work, you can see the door, but you are not right in front of the door. So that is called the power position in feng shui. So that's one of the things that you see that is most typical. Another thing is uh, clutter, especially, you know, uh, paperwork. And uh, people start, you know, um, if you put one piece of paper horizontal, you're in trouble. Because that's the beginning of a stack of papers. Right? <laughs> so one easy thing that you can do is start keeping everything vertical. Anything that is papers, get a, get a holder, put everything vertical. So the same mess vertical is not the same as a mess horizontal making a mountain of two, over your desk, right? And... Uh, so you know how um, Marie Kondo, you know, in her declaring program, she asked the question, does this bring me joy or does this spark joy? And when you are in an office, you can't really ask that because there's many things that are not going to give you joy in an office. Even if you love your work, there are going to be aspects of your business that you're not going to like to do. So, for example, my husband's a chiropractor. He loves adjusting people, but he doesn't like to do billing. And if he doesn't do billing, he doesn't get paid, right? And so there, are, um, he has a, a little um, numbers mouse. I don't know if you have seen those. It's like a little mouse, but it's like those adding machines that just has numbers. So instead of that. looking, yeah, so instead of looking for the numbers on your keyboard, you know, and, and some keyboards have this extended keyboard that on the right, you just have the numbers. Um, but you can also get them as, as a separate little mouse just for numbers. And oh, so I have one seen of those. those. I have yeah, seen those, yeah. yes. And so, especially for people with laptops, right? Because in the laptop, you can't have the, the extended keyboard where you just have the numbers. So you can get this, uh, this extra mouse with numbers for that, but, which is similar to having an adding machine that we used to have back in the day. And so... I'm sure that doesn't spark joy. You know, he has to have it. If he doesn't have it, he's going to take four times as long to enter the numbers he needs to enter for the billing. And so in your office, what you need to ask is if any single object that you see there, is it doing something good for you? Is this object good for me? And so, for example, you, um, if you look, what do you see in front of your desk right now? Name one object that you have there. One object that I have is sort of like a, a, I'll show you, it's a little, it's a clipboard, uh -huh. but it's a notepad. So That's that really can, cute. Yeah. So, so what you ask, you know, what you ask of every object, you pretend as if the object was alive and you ask, are you good for me? I get a yes. Little, <laughs> you get a yes. And so then and I think a it. lot of it is the colors. It brings me joy. Yeah. Right? And so it's doing something for you. It's doing yeah. something for you. It's pretty. It uh, gives you an uplifting feeling, right? So mm -hmm. let me show you something I have on my desk. And this is a, um, a phone holder, phone mm -hmm. or iPad holder, right? Mm -hmm. And it has like a bending arm and it's really practical. And is this good for me? Yes, it is good for me because I do lives. You know, I do lives that I put on Instagram or on TikTok and I need something to hold my phone. And so this is so reliable. When I put my phone in this holder, I'm never worried that my phone might fall off, you know, and break. And so it's a really good item for me. But I put this here on purpose. so I could have this to show you. This is a little container of um, facial cream. This is one that I take in my, uh, when I go on trips, you know, then um, this past Monday I was out of town. So I put this in my bag and I took it so I could moisturize my skin. So is this good for me? Right? Mm -hmm. It is good for me. Mm -hmm. However, should it be on my desk? So that, no. So that's Probably the question, not. second question you ask, right? <laughs> and so the first question you ask is, are you good for me? Is this a good object for me to have in my office? And then if the answer is no, you just need to get rid of it, right? 
But if, uh, if the answer is yes, this is good for me, then the second question that you ask is, does it belong here? Is it where it belongs? And so this is good for me, but it doesn't belong there. It belongs here on another table where I had a little box where I keep my makeup and creams, right? And so with those two questions, I, and it's so powerful because sometimes you look at your space and you think, well, you know, just I just can't even think how to organize. I'm so overwhelmed when I think about decluttering my office that that is worse for me to want to declutter than to just get numb to the clutter. Because you never get used to the clutter. You only get numb to the clutter, right? But if you start asking these questions, then you're, you're going to get really, really good answers. And through love, you're going to be able to have order in your space. That's another thing I'm working through is that I no longer enjoy my office, which means oh. it's time to change it, right? Time to so change I, things around, I, yes. Just yesterday, I got some cardboard boxes so that anything that doesn't serve me in my business world I could put uh -huh. in a box and decide you know do I donate do I some of it's from my yes. parents who are both gone but I still have like oh. their financial documents and stuff in the office yes but do I really need them here every day you know so that's yeah or could they live somewhere else yes so. And sometimes it's identifying which objects need to be put away in the office or identifying which objects need to leave the office and, and find a different home. And so you don't want anything in your office that it takes away from your productivity exactly. and your well-being and your peace of mind. And so, so, ma so many times, at least for me, because I, you know, I had to consolidate multiple households is, I do I... Am I okay with letting it go now or do I need to hold on to it longer? And if I yeah. hold on to it, you know, until I'm comfortable letting it go, where should it live? And so that becomes overwhelming because there's so many things. And then the procrastination, you know, that yeah, I don't know what to do, so I do nothing. Mm -hmm. And then that that just piles on more stress, right? So yes, I got these course. cardboard boxes so I can just take everything out. And then I'll decide what comes in. Mm -hmm. And a lot, you know, clutter basically is decisions delayed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When exactly. you don't make a decision, the moment you should make a decision. And, and actually, you are making a decision. It's just a default decision. Mm -hmm. uh, your default decision may be, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to leave it where it is. Or your default decision may be, I'm going to take it to the garage. Or I want to put it in the attic. Or I want to put it in the basement. And all you're doing with these default decisions is you're avoiding making the decision you need to make that day. So you end up with thousands of uh, unmade decisions in your mm -hmm. garage. Then your garage becomes a junk room. Then you become afraid to walk in there. And as much as you're afraid to see the disorder, the clutter, the chaos, you're afraid to make decisions. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because what if you get rid of something and then a week later you need it, right? I hear that and so it, many times. Yes. <laughs> and it's always going to happen. If you declutter a junk room, so if the junk room in your home is a guest room or the attic or the basement or the garage, whenever you do a purge, you are going to need something you got rid of. That's a given. I have never helped anybody declutter who did not experience that after. Declutter in a major way, you know. That's always going to happen. So you just have to say, well, that's going to happen. And uh, the good news is you're probably going to be able to find it real easy. When it comes to information, you know, like exactly what is in those books that you're keeping that you can't find again in this time and age? And, and a lot easier, you know, because you, you have to go look for some information in a book. It may take you forever. But when you just do a search online, you're going to find it uh, much, much faster. Yeah, but that's... a. Uh, um, you're definitely going to have that experience that you let go of something and then you need it. But it may be one out of hundreds of items. It's a mindset shift sometimes that we have yes. to go through because I've already paid for it. I already have it. I should, I should keep it because I, I can maybe use it again. Right. Um, yeah. Whether it's helpful or not, whether we actually will or not, it's that scarcity mindset that comes into play sometimes. Yes. And has... which may have made sense 30 years ago. You know, 30 mm -hmm. years ago, you found some really valuable information in a book. You don't want to lose it. But but today, can you find that online? And 99.99% of the times, the answer is yes. 
now you can keep books because you want to have them handy because they give you a good feeling because they are really a representation of what you believe who you are who you want to be yes definitely but uh, this this fear that we're going to lose information is no longer justified really one of the things i've started doing in many situations now is rather than keeping a very big object it's just taking a picture of it and then yes. making a, a a scrapbook of of memories right that's a great idea mm-hmm. and uh, and even now you know there's services <clears throat> that you can um, send your pictures and they'll make you a quilt yeah you know, they'll print you a quilt you know of, of memories like that i am um, i had um, a client you know lovely lovely person and she was keeping all the genes of mm-hmm. um, her daughter, right? Because you know how girls get these little cute genes with butterflies and birds and things, you know, each one has like some kind of a plate that is special. And so she was keeping all of these genes because she was going to one day make her a quilt. And so she had like, I don't know, dozens of genes that her daughter had outgrown. And so I asked her, so why are you keeping these? And she says, well, because I want to make a quilt. And I asked her, so um, do you know how to quilt? And she said, no, but I'm going to learn. And I asked her, do you have a sewing machine? And she said, no, but I could get one. (laughs) (laughs) And then I asked her, do you know somebody that uh, could make a quilt for you? And she said, yes, but they're too expensive. And so, like, chances are that quilt is never going to be made. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime... Think about all the little girls that could have enjoyed those beautiful jeans, uh, you know, with decorations that she had gotten for her daughter. So what she did is she finally just took pictures of the most significant parts of the quilt and had that printed uh, as a blanket. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you get to keep the memories. You can let go of things and keep the memories, keep the love. When I work with, with clients with clutter, one of the things that I have them do is they have to have a, a, a bag or a box next to them that mm-hmm. as they make a choice, I'm going to keep, I need to keep this and I've got a place for it or I'm going to donate it or it's just got to go in the trash. Right. But yeah. the trash goes into that trash bag. The donate gets donated immediately. Right. Uh-huh. Because it, the longer you hold on to it, the more you second guess your choices and you start taking things out. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I might need it, and I really, really like it, or somebody gave it to me, and I don't want to hurt their feelings, yeah. even though I'll never use it. <laughs> it's such an emotional process. Yes. And you know, when a, so I use, when I'm working with clients, I use a, a method that I created called the Nine Steps to Feng Shui System, which combines Feng Shui with modern architecture, for which I trained. And so in that system, I don't actually insist on decluttering until we get to step seven. Step ah. seven of nine, right? And and the reason I do that is because when people are ready, they will declutter. So I'm working with a client right now that's in Europe, and um, she's uh, been working through the steps. So she's in step four right now, and step four is about making sure that there's representation of nature inside of your home. And uh, as she's working on this, she just got the the urge to purge. And we had to stop the steps because right now she can do nothing but declutter. And it's easy. It's easy for her because once she went through step one, two, three, and four, the energy was right. And and then she started going through her garage. So in the beginning, just taking out things that she could say, oh, this is trash. Um, But then she started finding treasures. And she's making like quite a considerable amount of money on eBay selling these products. And so... I only deal, when we get to step seven, which is uh, maintaining your home, taking care of your home and decluttering, uh, simplifying your life so you can enjoy your passions, most people have already decluttered on their own. And when we get to step seven, we just work on the things that are really hard for them to declutter. So for moms, right, that is like their children's art, their children's clothes, right? And so then then we get to the things that are really, really emotional or when, when you have um when you're dealing with an estate, you know, when you're uh, trying to decide what to do with things that belong to your parents, those are things that are a lot harder to do. So you may need special help uh, to deal with those, you know, because they're so emotional. They are. I still have some of my parents' clothes. I, I The really mm-hmm. nice stuff got donated to a, there's a, a, a charity here in our town that um, 
It's called Close That Work. And so it, they help people who are trying to get a job and it provides mm-hmm. nice clothing for them. So I I really like that charity. So that's awesome. Well, if I can find a place yeah. for things to be used by somebody who needs them, it's easier for me to let go of the emotional attachment sometimes. Yeah, because um, there's a... Um... There's an aspect of morality to decluttering mm-hmm. because it is not right. For example, it's not right for me to keep the bikes that my boys had and used when they were four and seven. It's not right because there's kids out there that their parents can't afford to buy new bikes. And they depend on people like me taking those bikes to the thrift store or to the Goodwill or wherever so they can buy them for a fraction of the price. It's not right for me to keep those things in, in my shed, you know? And so when when you realize that there's a, an aspect of morality to clutter, it makes it easier to let go of things. I like that. I've not heard it said that way before, but I, I like that. And I totally agree yes. with it. Yeah. Yes. So there are different types of feng shui. Yes, there are different types of feng shui. And that's why, you know, I keep telling people, you are not going to Google or Pinterest your way into feng shui, your home or your business. Because there's so many things, uh, so many different schools, and some of them, they're not just different, they're contradictory. Like one school tells you one thing, another school tells you the exact opposite. And so feng shui, you know, with with the name feng shui, is over 2,400 years old. But feng shui has been around for maybe 5,000 years, right? When something has been around for that long, it's going to get corrupted. And I'm not saying corrupted in the way that you say, oh, that politician must be corrupted. I'm saying the corruption that happens when you copy and transfer information too many times, you know, like, and have you ever had it happen that you're trying to open a file in your computer and it says the file is corrupted? So that's the kind of, of corruption I'm talking about. So there, a lot has been lost. So what I did is I went back to the source. And the source of feng shui is ancient East Asian medicine, you know, just like uh, the, the philosophy that is behind acupuncture and qigong and tai chi and all those practices, herbalism. And so I went back to that and, and to look at it and say, okay, what works and what doesn't? Well, remember how I told you I grew up in this place where you couldn't trust your books? And so that was really helpful for me to say, okay, I'm going to look at the information of feng shui and I'm going to test it. And I'm going to make sure it works. And so and one of the things that uh, there's two uh, there's two aspects where you will find people give you really bizarre advice, you know, some consultants, and that is colors and mirrors. So let's start with colors, right? So, for example, I um, somebody will tell me, I painted my door black because my feng shui consultant told me to paint it black. And I'm like, well, your door faces north and you are in Canada. Why did you paint your door black when that's the shady side of your house at the north, right? You don't get sunshine. It's already dark. Why would you paint it a dark color? And she's like, oh, because my feng shui consultant told me that the color of the north is black. So I had to paint my door black. And so that is the way the feng shui consultants of what's called compass school feng shui give you advice on colors. Or some people will tell you, like, on the inside of your home, right? Your south wall, paint that red. And your west wall, paint that gray. And you might be like, but I don't even like gray. Or should I paint my bathroom red, you know? And uh, and so they give you um, advice on colors in a way that the results are really bizarre. And when people come to your home, they don't go, wow. They go, huh? <laughs> you know, what's wrong with these people? And um, and then there's another school, which is called the Black Hat School of Feng Shui, which I think is much better than Compass School. But uh, but some of the advice they give you regarding mirrors, you know, it's just strange. For example, they'll tell you, when you have a staircase in your home, the energy from the second floor just goes down to the uh, to the first floor as if the, as if it was a waterfall, and so then the second floor gets depleted. Right. So that that kind of makes sense because uh, chi, we call chi the life force, uh, can go down staircases like that. And so they say to prevent that, you need to put at the bottom of the staircase on that wall that faces the staircase, you need to put up a mirror so that you will take that staircase and make it go up again. 
and that is going to prevent from uh, um, the chi from getting depleted from the second floor. So when you first hear that, you're like, well, that can, that's kind of logical, right? But the staircase is considered a problem in feng shui. And so you should not duplicate a problem, right? And then there's this other aspect, which I know from uh, from being an architect, right? That if you go at night, if you're running down the stairs and you forget there's a mirror there and you will forget there's a mirror there, you're going to think that somebody is running and is coming to get you. And you could give yourself close to a heart attack. And so, and, and those are just two examples, you know, with color and mirrors. And so my promise is if you work with me, you're going to have a dream home. And if you want a consultation for your office or for your business, you're going to be more productive. You're going to make more money. And when people come to your home, they're going to be wowed. They're not going to go like, huh? <laughs> what's, what's happened here? That's hilarious. And so that that's why, you know, I took the, the oldest and most reliable type of feng shui, which is called form school feng shui. And I combined it with my knowledge of uh, Western architecture to produce this method, the nine steps to feng shui system, which is a method that always works in improving spaces and the lives of the people who live there. I Like I said, I'm just now starting to think and consider all the feng shui stuff, especially with, like you said, these conflicting things. But yeah. I, I've always just worked on intuition and what uh-huh. makes me feel comfortable or what makes me feel weird, you know? And that is, is wonderful, you know, and some people, they, they call it intuitive feng shui. However, we all have blind spots. Well, my office is one of them because I don't know how to make it the way I want it to be. I just know that what I did like before, I don't like now, you know. So you should be talking to me after the call. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there are things, and, you know, even the call that is the most beautiful and organized could be working against you because there's, there's beauty, there's comfort. And there's good energy. And so mm-hmm. with you can use interior design to make sure your home is beautiful and comfortable. But good energy, that only comes from understanding feng shui. And, and you could have a home that's just gorgeous, but, um, but there's something there that's messing up the energy. And there's something there that's giving you the, the wrong kind of feedback. For example, I once went into the, the home of this very um, wealthy couple. Like they, had, they had been casino people. Mm-hmm. in uh, in uh, Vegas and then they retired to Florida and uh, it's just gorgeous you know and of course designers were involved and it was just really really nice and then they had a bar and this bar the back of the bar had a mirror mosaic right mm-hmm. so you you stand in front of the mirror and it breaks up your image right that, those are the kinds of reflections they use in horror movies or thrillers for good reasons right and so I'm like, and I'm thinking in feng shui, actually, mosaic mirrors are related to addictions. And they had this mirror right uh, right behind the bar, right? And, and lots of really expensive drinks there. And later I learned, because you, you wouldn't know by looking at the guy, but he was actually a functional alcoholic. He was He drank too much every day. And then he woke up like late in the morning and he took a, a detoxing drink. And then he'd go like to a sauna and a, and a hot tub and a, the cold water thing. And then he would go swimming. And so by the time he met people for lunch, you wouldn't know. But he was actually an alcoholic, right? And so to them, this was a blind spot. First of all, unless you know feng shui, you're not going to know that uh, if you have an addiction, that mirror could make it worse because it gives you these, uh, this reflection of you as a fragmented person. And so that feng shui comes in also because you have to go beyond style, right? Because you can hire a good designer and you're, there's going to be good taste in your home or in your office building. You know, they're going to come in. It's going to look gorgeous. But you have to go beyond that. First, you need to develop your own sense of style so that you love every single item that's in your home. And then, you know, you have to make your home say those things that are good for you to hear. The things that you specifically as an individual, unique human being needs to hear. So for people who have a home office, what's the first advice that you would give them? Well, the first advice is what I mentioned before. Make sure that you are in an empowered position when you are working. That's the most important thing, right? Um the other thing, it, it has to be, be, do more with boundaries and time management, because if you have a home office, 
you there's other people in your house usually right it may be that you just live by yourself and then in that case this is not an issue although it is and i'll tell you why but people are going to interrupt you right and so um, you have to have some some kind of time management that you discuss with your family for example that you let them know if this door is closed i'm not to get interrupted if the door is open you're welcome to come into my office and talk to me but if the door is closed I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> you can come in, you know, or if I hang something on the door, no. So part of it is establishing boundaries with your with your family members, but you also have to establish boundaries with yourself. Because if you sit at your office, right, and you have to do one of those things that you don't really want to do, and then you're like, you know, I didn't mop the kitchen. I should go mop the kitchen. <laughs> and you actually feel virtuous to be procrastinating doing the work you need to do because it's a good thing to mop the kitchen, right? People say godliness is, I mean, cleanliness is close to godliness or something like that. And so you also need to manage yourself. So what I recommend is that you do things in your office that are going to put you in the mood for work. And so, for example, if you have, say, an essential oil diffuser, and you have one scent, one kind of essential oil that you only use when you have to concentrate on doing something that is hard to do. Just smelling that scent is going to put you in the mood of doing the hard work. And in that way, you are using like your, your basic personality, you know, the part of your mind that is more instinctive to help you do the things that you need to do. That's the advice I would give you. That's cool. I didn't think about the smell, but, but smell is very triggering. You know, it's yes, it triggers memory. It can trigger uh-huh. protocols and habits. Yeah. That's and you cool. can also, so for example, I have one scent for focusing and I have a different kind of scent for working out. Oh, nice. And they're very different scents, right? So the one for working out, as soon as I smell it, even when I'm thinking, I don't want to work out today, as soon as that gets me, gets to me. I start thinking, maybe I should work out today. And then a few <laughs> minutes later, I'm like, I'm working out. And so the same thing with productivity. You have these, uh, it could be incense, right, or essential diffuser. It could even be perfume that you put in your hair. And if you can learn to associate that smell with doing something that is hard for you to do, it becomes easier over time. I'll have to try that one out. Because most of my business world, I really, really enjoy Mm-hmm. But occasionally there's something I'm like, I just don't want to. <laughs> we all have that. You know, even the most perfect job for you is going to have activities that are just not cool. Yeah. So I'll have to find a smell that I like that I will start to associate with being very productive and enjoying the process. Mm-hmm. And so I can trigger that when there are things that I just don't want to. <laughs> yeah. So also part of what you do is working with different personality types, yes? Yes, I do that. And so, and this is a thing that I have um, started adding, you know, because I also train people to become feng shui consultants. And uh, I believe that for me to be a good teacher, I don't just have to teach people how to do the feng shui. I need to teach them how to get clients. So I'm teaching people how to build a business model based on their personality. And it's not just applied uh, to feng shui consultants. You know, it can be applied to any profession. But there's basically five um, personality types that have to do with the five elements that we use in feng shui that are different from the five elements that we use in our Western horoscopes. So the five elements are water, wood, fire, earth, and metal. So each of those has a, a particular kind of personality. And depending on your type of personality, I can tell you what types of marketing are going to work for you and which you're going to feel like you're being killed if you have to do them. And and that can also teach you how to relate to your clients depending on their personality type. And so each of these personalities cares about something. So for example, the metal personality, they care about what is right, what is right, what is wrong. And they're very spiritual people. The water person, they're into money big time. So they're always asking, what's in it for me? You know, they only get excited when there's something in it for them. And But they're also asking the question, is there anything here that could hurt me? Right? So they're always asking those two questions. Then there's the wood personality. The wood personality is the hard workers. They usually get up really early in the morning and they work, work, work. They want to be the, the hardest working person in the room at all times. And they're very competitive. 
then comes the fire personality. The fire personality, they tend to be really funny and they're really interested in parties. And the worst thing they can say about anything is that that's boring, right? And then there's the earth personality. And the earth personality are the caretakers. They define themselves by who they are helping. And so like a, a lot of coaches are actually earth people because they find their fulfillment in taking care of others. And so when you can determine the personality type, your personality type, you get to understand yourself better and you're a lot more efficient and you're a lot more productive because then you know what things work for you and what things don't work for you. Well, what if this is a new idea for some people? How would they figure out their personality type? Well, I actually you know, have provided a link where people can go and they can answer a, a quiz. It's just a few questions. And I will personally look at that and let you know what your personality type is. It's not an AI uh, quiz, you know, because now they have those quizzes that you push a button and it tells you. It's not like that because it's, it's really deep ancient knowledge. So I actually have to look at all your responses and I have to do a, a comparison and a relationship to determine the personality type. If you find out your personality type, you can become unstoppable in business. Cool. And we will have a link down below for everyone. So you yes. also, I'm, I'm fascinated with the nine steps to feng shui. Talk to me. Yes, yes. I, mean, I know we touched on I, it, but just something else yeah. you want to mention about that. Sure. So my web, website is nine steps to feng shui.com, all spelled out but also if you type spacearrangement.com, it will redirect to that. So the nine steps of feng shui are based on this source of ancient East Asian healing. So they're based on the Tao, the principle of yin and yang, qi or the life force, the rhythms of nature, the five elements, um, the vibrations, the energy of colors. It also includes uh, the trigrams, which, um, which are... Um, representations of natural forces and uh, and then the magic square which is um, it's a square that you have nine spaces and they have the numbers from one to nine and whichever way you add them it always gives you 15 it's really fascinating and and so we use that in feng shui to determine the life areas in the bagua map so we divide we subdivide your business or your home into nine spaces and each of those has a, a life area that corresponds to it. You know? So there's nine life areas, but there's also these nine steps to feng shui. So the first three steps that, uh, of, to feng shui, they have to do with the architecture of your home, how your home was built. So a home that's in one story is not the same as a home that's in two stories. It has a basement, right? A home that is uh, 1,500 square feet is not the same as a home that is 10,000 square feet. And so there are some things that come with the architecture, like I had mentioned before, you know, like the super high ceilings that you find in high-end homes. And, and so you, you have to correct those without having to remodel. Then the next three steps have to do with the interior design. And interior design basically is the finishings, the finishes of your home. So like uh, what are your floors made of? What are your walls made of? What kinds of colors or patterns do you have there? And also mirrors, especially fixed mirrors that um you know that you can just move around and um and so we deal with the interior design in the next three steps and then the last three steps we deal with furnishings which means your furniture your accessories and your decorations and make sure that every room has everything that you need to have to uh, to fulfill the functions of the room right and not things that could hurt the activities of the room for example your primary bedroom it's the bedroom where you are supposed to sleep, be intimate with your partner, and communicate deeply with your partner. And so you need to make sure that that room has everything you need for those purposes. And when you start introducing things that don't belong there, like a, a treadmill, because there's room, or you start bringing in the laptop so you can do work in bed, you start hurting the marriage, right? And so we go through the nice test of OJ system, going at first, how was the home built? What is the layout of the home? Then we look at the finishes of the home, the interior design of the home. And then the last three are furnishings, which is your furniture, you know, the choice of furniture and how you place it. And then your decorations and your accessories. And when we are done through this process of applying the nice test um, to feng shui system to a home, for example, your home is going to be a dream home. And I can guarantee you that if you apply the system, you're going to end up with a dream home. And while, because remember how I said your home 
expresses everything you believe to be true today. As you go through this transformation and you change your home to make your home into a dream home, your home is going to be giving you new, better messages so you can have a better life. So the promise is that you're going to have a life you love in a home that you are proud to show. That's cool. So we're getting near the end of our time together. So is there anything else you'd like our listeners to learn that we haven't covered so far? Okay, so what uh, my final message that I want to give you is that whatever you see first when you come to your home is going to determine your whole perception of your home. So like I had said before, if the first thing you see when you open is a staircase going up, you're going to feel life is too much work. Life is effort. But if you open the door, because sometimes, you know, maybe you come in through the back door, not through the front door, and the first thing you see is the stairs going down to the basement, you are going to feel like your life is going downhill. If you come in through the garage and the first thing you see is the laundry room, you're going to feel like your life is nothing but housework, right? And so make sure that whichever way you come into your home on a regular basis, make sure when you open that door, your eyes are directed to something beautiful, something that makes you feel like you're doing good in life. That's a really good tip. Because when I come in my front door, my house was built in the ni- 1965, actually. Okay. And so um, there, part of the architecture was the doorbell has long mm-hmm. chimes that hang down. And that's what okay. you see when you open the door. <clears throat> if you push the doorbell, it's these really loud chimes that go off. So I'm going to. But have... when you open the door, why would you see that? Because, because those that's are the behind way they... the door. No. That... No, you actually see them? That's are they you... pretty to look at at least? Yeah, they're brass. Okay. Yeah, so they are pretty, but they're like four, four or five feet long. They're very long. Um, wow, I've never seen something like that. Yeah, it's very interesting, mm. but I don't didn't know what to do with it so now I guess I'll just make it make that area pretty because that's the first thing people see well there's a there's different things you could do right and and like if you wanted to work with me I I could tell you exactly what you need to do for your particular situation right but you can direct the eyes to something else or you can put something uh, above them or something in between them then that gives you a different kind of message right because so this is what I'm uh, when I'm hearing you like when you open your door and you see that you are thinking, I live in a really old house. I live in a house <laughs> that exactly. has this contraption that exactly. no house has anymore, right? Exactly. And so maybe that's not a problem, but, but maybe there maybe there's an issue with that, right? Maybe you feel like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's so many things in my life that are outdated. And then that maybe is not the most positive message for you. They don't represent me. I And to yeah. give you background, I bought this home because I needed it to support my elderly parents okay so i moved them from their home into this home where we shared but really i bought it because it fit the needs of both of them and allowed Mm -hmm. me some privacy at the same time so i that's what that's where all my confusion is now how do i change it from the style the feel that made them comfortable which was not me at all. So I'm shifting so you the need, whole house into... Definitely. So you need to develop your own style. Exactly. You know, and a style that is not depending on taking care of others. So from what you just gave me, I would venture to say your personality is probably Earth. Yes. Right? <laughs> it is. Because you, you made such a monumental change. You made such a major decision to keep other people comfortable, happy, yes. and well. Right? And so you, what you need to do now is take care of yourself, right? Take care of, like, if I was my client, how would I take care of me? What do I need in terms of aesthetics? What do I need in terms of comfort? What do I need in in terms of messaging, right? So uh, if your home is not telling you, like, there's still a lot of time for you to do wonderful things. There's still time for you to shake things up. There's still time for you to, uh, to make a significant difference in the lives of people, right? So what kind of photos, what kinds of uh, art, what kinds of furniture, what kind of decor would give you that um, that message when you come home? So, Because your home needs to become your supportive partner. And for many people, your home is like a toddler 
that is asking for your attention 14 yes. times a day or more, right? And always taking from you. And when you apply the nice test to function system, the result is a home that takes care of you. Cool. So thank you so much. This has been so thank interesting. Thank you for inviting me. And obviously it's something that... that... I'm a lifelong learner. Okay. I just am. So when something new comes at me, I get very involved and very interested. And the fact that, that we connected, it's just happened at the right time. And, you know, it's very interesting how the the timing was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jean. Um, All the links to your website and to your, your free um, the quiz, the quiz, the the, the annals and the, analyzing the personality types yeah all that will be down below for everyone if you want to get in touch with her her website will be there as well um so thank you so much (laughs) thank you all righty so until next time this is Jean border with the focus practical dreamers journey take care everyone thank you for tuning in to the focused practical dreamers journey where we take out your emotional baggage and heal your emotional body so you get to enjoy the success you desire and deserve. Remember to visit our website at www.focusedpracticaldreamer.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Focused Practical Dreamer's Journey.